never give up. If you really believe in something, like just keep going and things will turn around. And if you believe in something and you think you can help people doing that, you're gonna be successful. And again, I think being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. So make sure that you're comfortable with that, with those things going wrong all the time. You need to like be able to handle that pressure. So if you think that you have what it takes and you have a great idea, I believe you can do it, just go for it. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and our next guest is Cowie Suplisi. Cowie is the CEO and co-founder of Barnana, a multi-million dollar business that uses sustainability practices to create organic snacks, while also supporting fair farming practices among indigenous communities in South America. In this episode, Cowie and I discuss the fascinating story behind Barnana's genesis, the ins and outs of the business, and the sustainability practices that he and his partners incorporated into their successful business model. I hope you enjoy this episode. So Cowie, welcome to InFactor. So excited to have you here today. Hi, Rebecca. I am super excited to be part of this. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So you have a fascinating story. I think you're actually a triathlete and now you're a business owner and we've chatted a little bit. You've been out in California, but you're from Brazil. So I'd love to give our listeners a chance to hear a little bit more about your background and about the amazing business that you've started. It's really fascinating. Barnana? Is Barnana, that the, yeah. Yeah, how Barnana got started. So could you give us a little of your background and tell us how this amazing company got started? Of course. And Rebecca, if you ask me when I was a teenager or even later, if I would end up starting a banana company in the United <laughs> States, I would say you are crazy. <laughs> but here we are. So I always like to start the story with my background in Brazil growing up. In the late 70s, my parents were following this crazy macrobiotic diet. They were the hippies of the time. So Fun, uh, fun. I had one of those too for a mom. (laughs) (laughs) So you know how it is. I grew up eating all these natural things. Most of them tasted like cardboard, but according (laughs) to my parents, they were really healthy. (laughs) My dad was actually dehydrating a lot of fruits at home. He developed this solar dehydrator, and he was drying a lot of bananas. And I grew up eating those bananas as a candy. There was no really sugar allowed at the house. The bananas tasted really sweet. They were like a natural candy. So in my childhood, that's what I ate, all these natural and organic things already. In the late 90s, I started to race triathlons, as you mentioned it. At that time, it was the very beginning of the sport, and there was not a lot of sports-specific nutrition at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now athletes have access to all these bars, gels, and everything you can possibly imagine. Back then, we had to be creative. So my friends and I realized that those dry bananas that I grew up eating as a candy were great for long bike rides. 
and they were available in Brazil. There was not a brand or anything like that. It was a commodity. Brazil produced a lot of bananas. People end up dehydrating them. There is not even like a brand behind. So we were eating a lot of those, those bananas in, before races, long bike rides. They tasted really good. They were easy on the stomach. They had all the nutrition mm-hmm. you, you would need. So it was funny how that childhood candy transitioned to become a sports nutrition in a way. Around that time, I was still thinking that I was going to be an architect like my father, uh-huh. who is a professor. And I always enjoyed drawing. And since very little, like, oh, you're going to be like your father. You're great. You have so much talent. So I went to architecture school. And at the same time, I'm racing and training. So according to some of my professors, emphasizing on the wrong things. And I remember at one point, one of them said, you have so much talent, but I feel like you're not applying yourself as much as you should because... We all know the work of your father. You could be so great. And you should really like uh, focus on what is important. At that point, I realized that maybe what was important to me at the time was not really school, was racing. Mm-hmm. That is what mm-hmm. I was very passionate about. So I did what my parents always told me to do. Follow your dreams. Do what makes you happy. So I said, I am going to follow my dream of becoming a professional triathlete. And the place to make that happen is in San Diego in the United States. That's where triathlon started. That's where the whole industry is. And I'm going to find my way up there. So I did that. And my parents told me, we're talking about the other dream, the one that you become an architect like your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Their dream for you. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what first brought me to the U.S. was to race triathlons and, and pursue that passion of mine. Time went by and I noticed other Brazilian products that I grew up eating become very popular in the States. First was the coconut water. All of a sudden I see coconut water everywhere. Uh And there was this huge boom, like Madonna is drinking coconut water. It's the coolest product you can find. They have different flavors. There's brands. And I was in my mind thinking, wait a minute, I used to drink this all the time. And what I realized is they created a brand and made that Brazilian commodity more convenient. At that stage, coconut water in Brazil was only available out of the coconut. So you would either get that at the beach. There was someone Mm -hmm. selling coconuts like you could probably get in Mexico or Hawaii here, Mm -hmm. or you go to a park, but that was it. It's not like you could go to a grocery store and buy coconut water in a convenient way. But anyway, I was like, That's, this is cool. And now I have coconut water here and it's, it's available everywhere. A few years later, the same thing happened to acai berry. Mm-hmm. I used to eat acai berry all the time, but you had to go to a place. You have to sit down and you order acai bowl. And they served that with bananas and granola and it was delicious. But again, it was not that convenient. There was no brand. It was just a fruit that they made into a smoothie type of thing. And then all of a sudden, acai was available in the US and it was the hottest new superfood from the Amazon. And there was a really cool brand behind. Sambazon was doing this great work at the Amazon, protecting the forest and at the same time, branding this product in the, in the US. And at that point that I realized, wait a minute, why didn't I do that? I kind of missed the boat. 
I am from Brazil, and now there was these Americans selling those Brazilian products in the U.S. I was the joke, like, how come that those gringos are doing that? <laughs> and I didn't do it. And they're making a lot of money doing it, right? <laughs> a lot of money doing it. They're doing good, and they're making money, and it's really cool. So that is kind of what sparked the idea to bring that banana that I grew up eating and put a brand behind because, again, one of the coolest things is that the product it was very popular in Brazil. Millions of people ate, and they liked it. So I knew that the product was good. I just had to brand it and make it more convenient, like it was done with coconut water and the acai berry. So that's when I realized, okay, I need to take action, because if I see someone starting a banana company with that product that I grew up eating, I'll be very pissed. So I need to take that chance. I knew that my friends here liked that product because every time I went back home to Brazil to visit my family, I used to stock up on the dry bananas and smuggle them back with me. <laughs> so but my friends would always see me eating. They, everyone would ask to try. And every time was the same response. Oh, this is great. Where do I get some more? So I was like, oh, we have to fly to Brazil to get it. <laughs> So that, that made me want to feel like I actually start the company. You always think that things will be a little easier than they actually are, right? In my mind, right. I was like, oh, it's simple. There's bananas, you're going to put them in a bag and we sell. And it's not that simple. It takes a long time sourcing the products, finding the regulations, getting in the stores, understanding the FDA and all those things. But we did it. Took it a while, but we made it happen. So what a great story. So you tr transitioned from, at that time, you were still, were you in school at that time, as well as training? Or were you training full-time and transitioned down? I, I was training, training and racing full-time. I had started another company before. And that, I always say, that was my study. That was my MBA. That was your training, right? That was my training, business training, because I spent a lot of money and a lot of time and I had a great lessons. But yeah, that didn't work out the way that I had planned, but it was a great foundation for uh, Barnana. Yeah. So yeah. And at that time, I was kind of at the end of my career as a triathlete. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the drive that uh, led me to drop out of school and move to the US. It's, it was becoming a job that I had to do and not necessarily wanted to do it. And at the same time, this idea for Barnana started becoming something that I was getting very excited about. So it's one of those things, once you really want to do something, you'll make it happen. I did as an athlete, and now I was feel having the same feeling now with Barnana. Yeah, that's great. I love that story, and I love how it all came full circle. You mentioned, you know, your, your family and the experience you had growing up eating those really healthy foods that were very common for you. And, you know, I mentioned I had a similar mom who was, you know, doing that. I mean, we were eating bean sprouts and she was making yogurt. Oh, yeah. And so I grew up with that too. And in, in many ways, I look back and I'm really thankful because I've been pretty healthy most of my life to have gotten introduced to it. And, and I'm sure you feel the same way, but what a fascinating story to be able to bring your childhood roots really to play, to find a great opportunity. So what do you sell now? What does Barnana sell? And tell us where we can find it. I know a lot of our listeners would be interested in trying products if they haven't already. The product line evolved. We 
realized that there was a lot of great things to do with bananas and plantains. So the original line that we call the Chewy Banana Bites line, they are a great on-the-go, tasty, sweet snacks that are very healthy. So we make the original product. That's where everything started. That is just bananas, one ingredient, mm-hmm. and it tastes amazing. Then we mix them with coconut. We mix them with golden berries, pineapples, and we also have a more indulgent line on part of that group of products that we call them in organic dark chocolate, organic peanut butter, peanut butter and chocolate mixed Yummy. together. <laughs> and they are very delicious. We also have a savory line of the plantain chips that a better and healthier option to your traditional potato chips. So we fry them in coconut oil. We use green plantains and they taste like amazing. That line is on fire right now. I bet. We, yeah, it is going really well. We recently also launched tortilla chips. So uh, tortilla chips are normally made out of corn mm-hmm. and fried in this not so great oils. We realized we couldn't make it better. So we are making tortilla chips out of plantains that are fried in avocado oil mm-hmm. and not compromising on taste, on structure of the product. So it's a, a tortilla that you can dip in salsa, guacamole, and it tastes great. So that's something we're very excited about. And we also have another line of cookie-like product there. We call them cookie brittle made out of bananas. Mm. So it's a, a flat and sweet, very crunchy banana product. So four different lines that are available across the country. So we started in natural channels and still do really well there, like in the Whole Foods, Sprouts, but now we sell in convenience stores, pharmacies, used to do really well at the airports when people used to fly. (laughs) Back in the day. (laughs) Back in the day, our past life. Hopefully that will get back at some point. But we're also now selling the more traditional conventional stores like the Kroger's, Yvonne, Safeways, and even Club. We're doing really well in, in Costco right now. And something that is very, very exciting that, that shows that the more mass market is ready for these organic products that are mm-hmm. better for you. And they want to support and get behind companies that don't, not only have good products, but have a mission behind. They're like doing good for the environment and the social aspect of the business. Sure, sure. Yeah, they're much more mainstream and available than ever before, which is great. So you mentioned, well, let's, there's a lot of things you mentioned that I want to dive into because I know this just doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't magically happen, but let's start with sourcing and tell us a little bit about that. I know that, you know, you started bringing products from your parents' home, which is really cool, (laughs) but of course that doesn't do what you need. So do you work with farmers and support the farming community? Has that become an important part of what you're doing? And uh, maybe as you talk about sourcing, I would be interested in hearing, you know, if you had challenges during this whole pandemic and maybe, you know, how that might have worked as well. Yeah, that is a big part of what we do today. And it's something I love to talk about because it's so important. When I decided to start a business, I had big aspirations. So I wanted to to be prepared to grow fast and to be able to supply everyone if possible. So 
I kind of went away from that ethos that my parents had, which was like working with like smaller communities and things like that, mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, it's not possible to create a large business working with smaller farmers and things like that. So as we started to do some research on where to source the product, started like reaching out to all different countries that, that grow bananas. Unfortunately, the U.S. climate doesn't allow for a proper banana production. You have mm-hmm. to go to the countries that have more of a tropical climate and a temperature that is pretty much the same all year round. So start doing a lot of research about that and end up learning way more than I would ever wanted to about bananas. <laughs> <laughs> and also realize that we had a big problem in the food industry. At the time, food waste was not something that anyone talked about. We didn't mm-hmm. know that that was a problem. So I started flying to these countries that were producing a lot of bananas, mainly to be ex- exported to the United States. Here in the U.S., we eat bananas every day. I'm not sure if you knew this, but bananas are the number one selling item in grocery stores. Is that right? So, yeah, I did so not. That is, yeah, people love their bananas. Well, my, my husband have... eats a banana every morning, religiously. <laughs> there you go. And he's not the only one. So if you can imagine, like, supplying bananas to a country that has over 300 million people, that's a lot of bananas. Mm-hmm. So I start going to these countries that are much, much smaller than the U.S., but they have a very large production of bananas. So I realized that they were growing these bananas, and if the bananas didn't have the right size or shape or the right ripening level, they could not be exported to the U.S. because Mm -hmm. they would go bad before arriving or they wouldn't fit on the box. So I was looking at these bananas being packed, and I started noticing a bunch of them being chucked to the side. And that pile of bananas on the side started growing and growing. So it led me to ask, what is going on? What's going on in those Mm -hmm. bananas? They said, oh, those are the seconds. We cannot export the seconds because they're still green, but by the time they get to the consumer, they will be bad. So we need to send them where they're even greener than that. So I realized that we could buy those bananas and doing so, we will be reducing food waste because otherwise they'll end up becoming compost. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot, of, a lot of effort to grow the bananas. And once you just become compost, you end up releasing a lot of methane gases. And that is a big part of global warming. One of the lead, in, like, lead causes of global warming is food waste. And it's great that we know that now. Back then, I didn't know. Back then, it was just like, why are they being wasted? It looked perfect to me. Let's do right. something about this. Right. So again, I realized we could help the farmers because now they had a second source of income. They're not making money in those bananas before. Now they were selling them. We were reducing food waste. And for us, we're just happy that we're getting a product at a good price and that we're doing good. So it was a winning combination. So food waste and reduction of food waste became a really big part of what we do. And while at those farms, farms I started learning a lot more how important it was to do organic. And then we end up getting connected to smaller growers and realized that there was some co-ops that were kind of organizing all those growers, and they were collecting everything. So we saw that we could actually help smaller communities and not only have to work with those really big farmers that have those large operations. 
So now we have a lot of different farming efforts that we do. One of the main ones, as I just mentioned, is working with whoever is growing bananas and trying to reduce waste by those bananas that don't qualify as export. We expand the efforts now to work with indigenous communities in the Amazon region. So we right now are working with probably close to 1,600 families that grow plantains and bananas. That is part of their diet, so they eat a, a lot of those already. But we learned that a lot of them were growing plantains to give shade to other crops. There are certain crops that need other cultures around to thrive. They grow coffee, they grow cassava, cacao, and they have more plantains that they eat. So again, we realized that a lot of them were just going bad. And then there was already a system in place that could collect all of them. Mm -hmm. So now we feel very proud that we're helping these indigenous communities to have better lives because they're selling plantains to us. And most recently launched a regenerative agriculture effort in order to get growers that were growing conventional bananas and plantains to start like changing a little bit the way they farmed before and incorporating some organic practices to their day-to-day. So adding different crops, that's a a first thing that we try to do. In a conventional farm, you only have one type of uh, agriculture, one thing, and that at one point went up to to the crops becoming weaker, more easier for pests to go and eat those crops. And so they have to use more pesticides. So we are incentivizing people to to grow more things and that way make for a better farming, better environment. So uh, I can talk about uh, farming and growing bananas forever. (laughs) Well, it's such a great, you know, it's so, of course, farming is very interrelated and symbiotic. And so what's really fascinating to me as I'm listening to you talk is that this business that you started, which started as this simple idea of, you know, These are products that I'm familiar with and I know where to get them. And the people in this big country, United States, that I now live are, you know, interested in buying them and they're, you know, paying good money for them. It started as that, but, you know, and of course, it's, I'm sure, a very profitable business, but it's also turned into a business that's doing good for a lot of people. So a lot of people are able to put food on their own family's tables. A lot of these small farmers and and you're helping them not only sell their product, but also do it more effectively and more, more efficiently. So what a great story. And you're helping us, you know, take better care of our planet in the process. I love it. Barnani is actually a B Corp. I'm not sure you're familiar Yes, Benefit Corp. Yes. Benefit Corp. Yeah. So, and that's part of everything that we do. Like a traditional corporation, like your your main goal is return to shareholders. As a B Corp, we talk about triple bottom line. We care about the environment. We care about the social aspect and the people working in the business, as well as the profits and return to shareholders. Right. And we think that it's a way more sustainable way of doing business. And it's interesting looking back because as you mentioned it, all the things that you learned growing up from your parents, at the time as a kid, you don't really care or really understand. But a lot of the things that are important to us today and this focus in the environment and people, it all came from my childhood. 
and they became my personal values and now are the personal the values of the company. And it's great that you end up attracting a lot of people that care about those things. Right. And there's people that became even more passionate than myself in a way because they got involved with us. And I think doing good will attract good people that are in for the right reasons. So we have incredible investors, incredible group of team members that are very passionate about this and they believe that we're doing something good and it's not just business, it's a bigger cause. Right. Uh, we can provide healthier options to everyone, as you said, that they're not compromising on taste and doing so we are protecting the planet. So I see this as a win-win situation. Yes, I love it. I mentioned to you just briefly the pandemic. Have you had supply chain issues through this pandemic or have you been able to keep moving pretty smoothly through the process? We kept moving. It wasn't smoothly. <laughs> Not necessarily smoothly. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I got props to, to our team and our operations and factories. We managed to be very creative. That's one of the, the great things about being a little smaller. You can work in a way that is difficult for the bigger companies. So we had to pivot and change things. A lot of those indigenous farmers that I mentioned Historically, they have been very affected by even a common cold. Mm -hmm. So we want to be aware of that. So we were not able to get a lot of the supply from them. But at the same time, a second source showed up just because the fresh produce became kind of secondary at the beginning of the pandemic. It was not the focus. Everyone wanted to get toilet paper. Toilet paper, yeah. <laughs> paper towels. So we're, we're able to buy some of those bananas and plantains that were grown for, for fresh produce. So we were good on the source. We were creative on ways to keep the factory going and making sure that everyone was safe. Our demand for our plantain chips, I believe, when is like 500% what we had forecasted at the beginning of the year. So that was not an easy task. Phenomenal. Why yeah. all of that? But again, the operations team did a, a great job. I think some of them have probably 50% more gray hair and some might not have any <laughs> hair at all. <laughs> but I think that happened to a lot of us over the last six months. It's been, it's been a pretty challenging six months. But yep. you mentioned earlier some of the people that you brought in. And you said in a Forbes interview that you were able to accomplish so much more when you found your business partners. And I know that teams and, you know, the relationships that we build are often a vital part of the entrepreneur's success. Could you talk a little bit about how that all worked for you? You started this, did you start this by yourself in the beginning? And how did you grow your team? And how did you find investors? And do you have any advice for some of our startups that are, you know, they're passionate about something and they know they need to, they don't have all the skills they need. They need to fill in the gaps with some other people. Yeah, absolutely. The team and like a, this is a group effort and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for so many people that help in so different times. And I realized very early on that there, I had a few skills, but that I need people that are better than me in other areas. Mm -hmm. I was also at the same time so passionate about this. So I was telling everyone. And there was a couple guys at the beginning that stuck with me through the whole process that were very important to creating this. And I realized that they could do like a marketing and operations way better than I could. 
and we collaborated with each other really well. And at the same time, I was always telling everyone about this and someone would say, hey, you should talk to a friend of mine. He's in the food industry. He might be able to, to help you. And then there was all these amazing connections that ended up happening just because I couldn't stop talking about bananas. <laughs> uh, and those things end up leading to investors and people that just want to help. But yeah, I always say I just had the idea and it was all these other great people that made it happen. I was there like kind of helping guide where I wanted to, to go. But yeah, credit to the team, like uh, uh, Nick, Matt, some of our still investors, board members, uh, Patrick, uh, Tom, uh, Dayton, there's so many people that are such an important part of this. And like I said before, people that were in for the right reasons, that's what I also learned. Once you start becoming successful and people see your products in a lot of places, there's a lot of people that will want to associate you, to you. Mm-hmm. And then you can get that pretty quickly that they are in, not because they really believe in what you want to do, just because you're being successful. So I feel very fortunate that I was able to screen through all the noise and, and just get in with people that believe in, in me and, and had a similar vision to how this could look like. Yeah. And so it sounds like a lot of it was your passion that really sold a lot of people on this, but the vision and the values of the company have been really what's driven and, and guided you with respect to people that you let in. Because I know that that's a common challenge because when you start to have a little bit of success in the beginning, people you know, are often very quick to tell you you can't do something. But once you start having su- some success, there's all kinds of people that show up at the door. So figuring out you know, how to build that team, I think is a, is a real skill. And it sounds like you've, you've done a great job with that. And I think that, you know, your triple bottom line, B Corp philosophy, the way you've built this company and your focus on sustainability has probably been something that you've been able to, that value system that you've been able to share. And it's really been a big part of the success that you've had. And it's commendable and really exciting to see that triple bottom line really working. You know, you've had a lot of wins and a lot of success and, you know, great product, good people. But most entrepreneurial pathways and journeys are full of challenges and sometimes failures and and they require resilience and persistence. And that's one of the topics that's, you know, that I love to talk about because I work with students a lot and I work with startup companies and sometimes the journey can be pretty tough. Do you have any stories to share or have you had some failures or challenges along the way? And, and if so, how do you, you know, how do you stay resilient? How do you keep going? And I'll tell Rebecca, yes to all of those things. And sometimes those challenges, the successes and the failures, they happen in the same day. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) you have ups and downs and you just got to, and I think that's when having those values and that mission, they will really shine through because it's really hard. And if you don't think that like you're doing this for a greater cause, you just give up. And I think that what really helped me through the whole process is going back to my background as a professional triathlete. In a way, business is very similar to that. As an endurance athlete, you are going through pain. Your job is to feel pain and not to give up. 
right. And whoever, right. Yeah. If you cannot handle the pain, you give up force and you lose. Right. So every day you have that battle. And I found in a way when I stopped racing, the same excitement in business. And it was very similar. You have to be very resilient. Things will go wrong, especially when you're doing the longer races. It's very similar to business. You start feeling great. And then something happened and you're down and you, do, you lost your confidence and you have to bring that back up and keep going. And sometimes the person that is on the front that you think is winning, all of a sudden he's not feeling good and you're going to pass and then you feel better. And in business, it's very similar. So we had several challenges from the beginning, from operations and things going wrong and you have a big win. And then all of a sudden, your containers are stuck in a port in a different country because there's a hurricane. And now mm. you don't have product to sell. And mm -hmm. you have to try to figure a way to get product from a different source faster. And you have to get money. But again, you want to get money from the right people. And the right people are not there at the time. So you have to like a really, in some points, like not pay yourself to try to extend that. So there was a lot of those challenges or product get to the store and someone leaves a pallet outside and then you go visit the store and you have this beautiful display and you're very excited and you get the product and it's all melted because it's chocolate and they left outside. So now you have to figure that out because the store doesn't want to lose money. So it's all on you. And it's amazing. Every day, uh, every day. Every day. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, I love hearing you tell that story. And as I've been listening to you talk, we have a theory that we talk about in school and basically, it goes something like the business that you're most likely to start and succeed with is one that's going to be based in who you are, what you know, and who you know. And when you think about your story, I think, you know, your whole background just comes into play and your whole value system, you know, who you really are and, and what the skills you've built. And it's just sometimes I'm sure when you're at the beginning, you don't see all this. But <laughs> as you're on the path, you know, it all kind of comes together. And it's just a great sort of symphony pulling together all of those things that we experience in life to kind of get us ready for where we are and what we need to do to succeed. I love that. And in a way... Coming and starting a business like this from being an athlete, not understanding how business works, that was an advantage to me. Because again, it's really hard. And if you knew how hard it was, you probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> you never do it. That's right. I've no. heard that from so many people. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, like a, you will end up doing things just because it's common sense. And sometimes they will work a lot better. People will say, no, that's not how we do it in the industry. I was like, I don't care. That just makes sense. And then like you're, you're breaking some rules and changing things just because like that's how it should be. And you don't know any better. Of course, a lot of times you fail and it was not the right way, but a lot of times you end up winning. And I also learned looking back now at the beginning, a lot of people will tell you, we're betting on you. We're investing on you. And you don't really understand what that really means. And now I do. Because if you have someone that have an idea of a business and they, all they see is that the potential to make money, I don't think that they have what it takes because just making money is not enough to go through all the challenges. Like I said, sometimes it's on the same day. You're, you're down and then you're up again and you, you need to 
to really be passionate about what you are doing. Right. And again, like they are investing and believing that you can do this and like you are passionate enough to make it happen. Yeah. And out of a lot of those problems come the greatest innovations. Like you said, many of them don't work, but then you become an innovator. And so tell me along those lines, what, what does the future look like for Barnana? Like what's next? Where are you headed with this company? You've done really well and you're making a difference with your triple bottom line. So what's next? I feel so fortunate right now that we have an incredible team, like people that are so experienced that work for some really big companies that are kind of helping me now to take this to even higher levels. So we have a national distribution and we are in a lot of places, but I think that we should be in more places. And not all those places have all our products. We know that this is just the beginning. So I think like there is a lot more people that should know about Barnana and we are working on that. Like I said, our product is starting to get in more conventional places, more mass market and is being really well received. So just keep doing this and innovating and creating healthier options that are good for you and good for the planet. So who knows? There's so many opportunities for me, one of the things that I had to focus at the beginning was not to get too distracted because I had so many ideas and I wanted right. to do so many things. And I realized that you have to focus. So we already have these four different lines. We need to sell more of them, like getting more places. But at the same time, we are working on innovation. I think there is so many things that we can do with this turn out to be very versatile product that are bananas and plantains. So keep creating new products, getting more places, talking about getting more people to know about what we do, learning more about ourselves. Once you start getting bigger, you can start like digging in a little deeper, trying to understand who your consumers are, why they are buying your products. That way, learning about ourselves and how, how to become better. And it's, it has been very rewarding recently to really learn more that people really care about what we do. We learned that consumers buy the products because they taste good, but then they stay loyal and they talk to their friends, they talk to their families, they get passionate because we have this mission. So it's really cool to see that because we are more and more receiving messages from consumers saying how thankful they are because we have this type of products, different diets and the planet. So there's a lot of cool things coming up ahead and we're still very excited. To me, it's still just the beginning. Yeah, well, I'm excited to watch because I know it's going to be great. You've done a great job so far and I know it's going to be exciting to watch. So I always like to, I could sit and talk for a long time. This is a great conversation and really fun for me. But I always like to kind of bring our conversation to a close with a question, the same question I ask all my guests, because we have a lot of students and a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs or who are very early in the stage of entrepreneurship. And if there was one piece of advice that you could leave with our listeners, knowing that many of them are listening to you and hoping, that someday they'll have a similar story. What would that advice be? I would say to never give up. If you really believe in something, like I just keep going and things will turn around. And if you believe in something and you think you can help people doing that, you're going to be successful. And again, I think being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. 
So make sure that you're comfortable with that, with those things going wrong all the time. You need to like, be able to handle that pressure. So if you think that you have what it takes and you have a great idea, I believe you can do it, just go for it. Yeah, that's great advice. So I want everybody that's listening to go out and buy some Barnana and try out the snacks. I know I'm excited to try some new ones. And where can our listeners connect with you, Callie? We are in all the social media platforms that you can imagine. So at Barnana in everything. If you want to reach out directly, you can go on our website to learn more about our sustainability efforts, to learn about our new products or where to to buy them. So at barnana.com. Today is a lot easier to find things with spending a lot of time online. So uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, we're all we're all spending a lot of time zooming, aren't we? Thank you for your time today and for sharing your wonderful story. It's been a lot of fun for me. Thank you. Likewise, I really enjoy, and I'll make sure you receive all our products. Wonderful! So, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. Take Thank care, you, Rebecca. Have a great day. You too.